Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. And the fairy tale ride for the Tar Heels continues. And Coach K's legendary career has come to a close. And with that, welcome back, everyone, to the Lay the Points podcast. I'm your host, Kendall Caps, alongside my co-host here, Jordan Chereau. Jordan, how you doing, man? I'm exhausted. That game just <laughs> killed me. Oh, my gosh. That was absolutely incredible college basketball game. It really was. I mean, knowing the amount of hype that was going into that game, we finally get Duke, North Carolina in the tournament for the first time, and it happens to be in the Final Four in Coach K's final run, and, you know, with all that hype, you didn't think you could actually meet it. And somehow it surpassed it. It was one heck of a ball game. I think there were 19 or 20 lead changes, like 17 ties. It was phenomenal basketball played at a really high level. Uh, and ultimately North Carolina, it's kind of fitting. If, if coach K was going to go out, he loses to his rival. It was either he was going to win the title or he was going to lose to his rival. And, and it ended up being the latter. I really wanted him to win. That would have been such a great finish, but you know, a lot of time in sports, it, that's not how it is. A lot of guys can go out on top, and I would have loved to see Coach K go out on top with his historic career. But that did not happen, and it was really, really tough to see him leave the court. Um, but uh, that's sports. Well, and one thing I, I think, one thing that I talked about last week in the depth of scoring with North Carolina, having four guys that could score from twenty to thirty on any given night, and all four of them stepped up big. Uh, in, in this last game, Brady Manick hit a few threes. Obviously, Caleb Love showed why he's an NBA draft prospect. Uh, R.J. Davis got like 18 points. Uh, they, they had contributions from a few different guys. And, of course, Armando Baycott, the big man, 21 boards in the game. That was phenomenal. Most, I think they said, in a Final Four game since Nick Collison in 03 when Kansas, ironically, lost uh, uh, Carmelo in in uh, the Syracuse Orange. So it's been almost 20 years since we saw someone dominate the glass like that. Yeah, like, and he also had eight offensive rebounds in that game. Eight? I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, no, he, he's a beast, and it, it's going to make for a lot of fun because Kansas has a behemoth down low in David McCormick itself. So, uh, you know, and Kansas, kudos to them. They, they did a really, really good job. And at the end of the day, I feel like Villanova, they just couldn't overcome that being down Justin Moore, who was arguably the best player on the team, certainly the second best offensive player, he's also the guy that would have been guarding Ochai Agbaji, uh, the Big 12 player of the year for Kansas. And without him, that you know, Agbaji, or excuse me, uh, Ochai, I think he hit his first six shots from downtown. And Nova, you know, they hung around, they tried to make a run, but ultimately Kansas was just too much. Going back to Duke, though, I wanted to bring this up. What did you think about that possible controversial and one that could have tied the game if they would have hit the free throw um, in that game? What were your thoughts on that? You know, both the announcers and the analysts that they brought in said, no, that's the right call. You know, the foul happened before the, the move. But it looked as though he had picked up his dribble already. Now, he did take the two steps after the contact across his arms, but I've seen that play be called an and one before. And, you know, the rest, they, they decided that, no, it's, it's on the floor. Duke then has to go to the line for two shots when they were trailing by three with 10 seconds left. They missed their free throws. 
North Carolina doesn't miss those. That's the ball game. And it's, it's funny because you almost never see a Duke team losing games because of free throws, but they missed a lot of free throws in that second half. And I think that might've been maybe the biggest problem for them because everywhere else it was pretty evenly matched, but they didn't hit their charity stripe shots. I just want to talk about the, one of the big matchups that I see um, going into the championship game tonight is Armando Baycott hurt his ankle in uh, the second half of the game on Saturday. And uh, he is going to play. He was quoted yesterday saying, my status right now is that I'm playing. There's no way I'm not playing in the national championship game. My right leg would have to be cut off for me not to play. You know, when he rolled his ankle, and it looked pretty bad when he rolled it. And, and I, you know, and that happened with only three or four minutes left in the game. And when he left the court, I thought he might have been done for the game. And he was able to come back and play a minute later. But I'm sure, you know, adrenaline, maybe a quick cortisone shot or something, you know, got him going. But you do have to wonder, you know, has that ankle swollen up since then? And hearing those kinds of comments, at the very least, that tells me he's not 100% going into this game. Let's talk about the game itself. So Kansas uh, minus four versus UNC. 152 is the line. Minus 115 for the over and minus 105 for the under. What do you think and who do you got? Man, it, it's really tough. I've gone back and forth. You know, I've talked all tournament long about how this North Carolina team has really grown up uh, over the last month or two. And they might not be as... Uh, much of a senior-laden team as Kansas is, but they're not a young team. They have some guys that have been around for a little bit and, and some good leadership. But I, I, I really like Kansas, and in particular, I love Kansas in the first half. They're favored two and a half in the first half. In North Carolina, coming out of that last game, that's got to be emotionally draining. When you play that, that big of a game on that big of a stage against Duke and Coach K in his final game, the game of the century it felt like between Duke and North Carolina. And if they come out a little bit flat, well, you're playing the one team you don't want to be flat against to start a title game because Kansas in, in four of their five games in the tournament have jumped out to really quick leads. The only one they didn't was Miami. And then they trashed them in the second half, but every other game they've jumped out to really big leads, including a 10, nothing start against Villanova in the final four. So if, if North Carolina is not quite ready to play the first couple minutes, I could see Kansas building an early lead. So the overall line of minus four, I mean, Vegas is really good, and I, I feel like they hit the nail on the head. That's a perfect line. But at minus two and a half for the first half, I would hammer that. In the over under 152, I think there's a reason you're laying the extra juice at minus 115 for the over. It's because both of these teams can score. Both of these teams want to run and get up and down the court. They have shot makers. They have outstanding offensive guards. So I love the over even laying the extra juice. How about yeah. you? Yeah, like I like Kansas too. I They just look so dominant and they're just steamrolling over teams. I love their big guy, David McCormick. I mean, he showed me on Saturday how, how dominant he can actually be. And uh, I think with Baycott's injury, I just don't think he's going to be 100% at all. I mean, he might only be like 75% and big man with ankle issues on like a day rest. Like he's just not, he's not going to be um, a full impact player on the court. And he's very, very important to their squad. And with that, I, I, I just think they're going to, they're going to roll. I, you know, like I agree with oh, you. You don't I, think it's going to be even that close. I think it'll be uh, close in the first half. And then I just think Kansas 
um, with their senior laden team are just, and their, and their coach bill self, you know, they're going to be so locked in as they've been the entire tournament. I think they're just going to, um, put it on in the second half. I think UNC is going to put up a good fight in the first half. I think they're just going to run out of steam. Um, cause just like you said, I just think the emotion of beating Duke and then, uh, Baycott's injury, I, I think that's, it's, it's going to come to an end for them. Well, and another interesting tidbit, because of the potential implications of Armando Baycott's ankle injury, when you look at the depth of North Carolina, and in, in particular in what they played and put on the court against Duke, they only had two players that played that weren't in the starting five, but they only played a combined, I think, like 13 minutes. They basically had their starters play start to finish the entire game. And if Baycott's not fully healthy, they don't really have many reserves to be able to go to, whereas Kansas is a bit deeper. They had a couple guys come off the bench last game. One of them logged 20 minutes off the bench. So they can rotate some guys and stay fresh late in the game if it is close. So I think that's an advantage to Kansas as well. It's just, it's really funny because the ties between these schools are unbelievable. Dean Smith, the great North Carolina coach, was actually a Kansas alum. Roy Williams, the longtime Kansas coach who was beloved in in Lawrence, Kansas for so many years, but could never quite get him over the top, ended up leaving for North Carolina and then winning a title, uh, winning three titles at North Carolina. Even Larry Brown played at North Carolina. The great Larry Brown, the NBA coach, played at North Carolina, coached at Kansas. Uh, And now UNC's coach, Hubert Davis, He actually lost to Kansas in the 91 uh, championship game as a member of North Carolina Tar Heels. He talked about it afterward and even acknowledged that he thinks about that game every day of his life. And now he gets a chance to beat Kansas as the head coach of North Carolina 21 years later. It's or 31 years later. I'm sorry, time, man, I'm getting old. Um, so it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. The ties between these two schools and it, it, it's going to be a lot of fun to see it play out. There's a ton of talent. Uh, we have NBA draft prospects between Caleb Love and Agbaji, both of them probably lottery picks, I think going into the draft. Uh, so it should be a ton of fun tonight. I think the biggest thing after this game and whoever wins, do you think coach K will be in the montage of one shining moment? The question is, will he be? The last shining, like, would they be bold enough to actually make him the last one, like a little wave from him after you see the the winning team celebrating in the second? That's because he'll certainly be in there, I'm sure. Um, you know, when, one thing that I noticed, as great as this tournament has been, and it has been outstanding, and there's been a lot of upsets and great stories with St. Peter's and everything, there hasn't actually been a buzzer beater in the entire tournament. I, I feel like that's Seriously? the first one wow. that, yeah, not one. Uh, it's amazing, but I, I think it's the first time I can remember in my lifetime that there hasn't been one. And just a, a little tidbit, you know, to pat ourselves on the back. If everyone remembers last week, we talked about heading into the final four. If you're betting money line on who's going to win the national title, we told you guys there are two teams where there was value. We said North Carolina at plus 500 or Kansas at 180. I hope you got who you wanted last week because obviously you're not going to get close to those odds anymore now that we're down to the title game. All right, so I want to pivot now. Uh, Cause it's master's week. You know, this is one of the best times of the year. You know, we got spring is in full bloom. We got baseball about to start and with Easter around the corner, the masters are rolling right around. I mean, it's, it's that time of year again. I'm super excited for it. I love watching the master. I've been watching it every, every year for 25 years now, I'd say. 
it's exciting. And the main topic over the last 24 hours that's come out is Tiger Woods. He's been practicing. He He's looking pretty good based on videos and pictures. So he might give it a go. Uh, he is a game time decision. So the decision possibly will come tomorrow. He's speaking with the media tomorrow to probably give a tidbit of what he might do. He probably won't because he probably were going to work the media to antist, you know, hype it up. So he's been out for 14 months from that horrible car accident in California. But what an incredible comeback story that he's had um, so far, even to get back to how horrible that injury was. We'll see. Right now, you can place a bet on that. Uh, minus 300, yes, he will play. Or plus 240, no, he won't play. What are your thoughts on Tiger coming back, possibly? You know, it's funny when I saw the line and saw that you had to lay three to one odds betting that he will return. Obviously, that's the, the huge favorite. Everyone is expecting him to play. I'm not quite as sold. I feel like if he was if he was ready to play, he might have already announced that. And it's not just waking up and going, yes, you get to, you got your little golf cart on your practice rounds, but it's a whole nother thing when you're walking 18 holes. It's physically taxing when you're out on the course that off that often, uh, along with the practice rounds that would come with it this week. So at plus 240, I actually think there's some decent value there. Um, and, and no one seems, I don't know anyone that's betting no, but I wouldn't be shocked if he announces that he's just not ready. Um, if he does play in the tournament, um, I haven't seen what the odds are for him not making the cut, but that would be my assumption is he does not make the cut. So whatever that line is, if he does play, I'd place some money on him missing the cut. Yeah, I would too. Um, just kind of based on the past of when he was going through his other issues in his life, he came back and it took him some time to kind of get back and everyone wanted him to succeed and be the old tiger again. And he just wasn't. And we were all disappointed but we love to see him out there. He's he's just so good for the game of golf and ratings and everyone wants to see Tiger. So just to actually see him out there and all Tiger fans, including me, and I know you're a big Tiger Woods fan, I'm hoping for the best. I hope he's out there. I hope he makes a little noise. I'm not expecting him to do much. He probably won't make the cut, but just to see him there is very exciting. Yeah, I agree. And in the sport of golf, you know, they miss him. Uh, there's been a handful of names since he, you know, entered the twilight of his career, so to speak, that you've been hoping you hope that Jordan Speed, the Rory McIlroy were going to become the next big superstar. And then it's Brooks Kopka and Bryson DeChambeau, which they're a little beef. And there's lots of fun storylines, but nothing is gravitating like Tiger Woods. I don't know if we'll ever see anything like that for the sport of golf again. So it would be good to see him out there. But speaking of some of these other guys, uh, you know, they're. It's an amazing field that they have. They have over uh, a dozen former Masters champions in the field. Uh, John Rahm is the odds-on favorite. He's plus a thousand, so you can get ten to one on him right now. Jordan Spieth is thirteen to one. Justin Thomas fourteen to one. Dustin Johnson sixteen to one. And then there's a handful of other guys there. Shan Xander Shoffley, who's been playing really well. Bryson DeChambeau who there's always lots of fun storylines about him. And then Tiger, you can actually get him at 40 to one, 50 to one in some places as well. Um, what, what are your thoughts? Anybody stand out to you? Um, I must say Rory. I mean, like I always root for Rory and uh, he's trying to compete for Grand Slam. He finished top 10 in six of his last eight starts at the Masters, but missed the last cut last year. Um, I think he's playing some really good golf this year. You know, there's one guy that, I really like, and he hasn't been getting much attention this year, 
and that's Victor Hovland. Uh, he's quietly climbed his way to number four in the world rankings and uh, number seven in the GPC standings for the season. And this course, which they actually figured out a way to lengthen this course again, two more holes got lengthened. Uh, so clearly we have seen in the past, the big hitters off the tee have an advantage here. This is not like some of the U.S. Opens where you see where it's all about shot making and being able to play certain angles like you need to be able to take advantage especially on the par fives and bomb off the tee and hovland he not only is really long off the tee which as i said is essential at the masters but he has a really good short game he's 12th in greens and regulation this year uh so victor hovland i feel like which his odds coming into the tournament this year he's also 18 to 1 uh, I feel like that's a solid bet. He's even uh, plus 400 to finish top five, which I think is a sneaky good bet as well. Um, and yeah, he's finished top 10 in half his starts this year or almost half his starts this year. So he's playing really well coming in. His game suits this course really well. So he he could be a dark horse that w- worth looking at. And then also Colin Morikawa, the tw- to, uh, 2021 Open champion. Um, he presents a lot of good, really good value too. He also hits the ball really well off the tee. He's got some distance. Again, no one really talks about him. Um, And despite his recent struggles, uh, both at the players and the Valspar, those are very, very different courses. They're much shorter, and it doesn't suit his game, whereas Augusta fits perfectly for what he does. So I think Colin Morikawa, who is even deeper of an odds, I think you can get him at 20-1. to Uh, That's another solid play, I think. Really good insight. It's going to be, um, it's going to be a fun masters. Masters is always, uh, ex- really exciting. Sometimes guys come up that you don't expect that are in the final day, but please, please tell me that Bryson and Brooks will be paired together. I know a PJ won't allow that. Oh my God. That would be so amazing. I, w- I would die for that. That would be so good. I mean, you just have to have a camera on them all the time because <laughs> it, there would be eye rolls and shrugs and laughing. Oh man, it would be, it, w- it would be great, man. I wish we could see them in a boxing ring. That would be entertaining. I know. I mean, WrestleMania just happened yesterday. I mean, Brooks could, he could strap on some tights and get in the ring. The guy's huge. <laughs> all right. So, Let's jump into some NBA. So we got to talk NBA. We love the NBA. Let's talk about Kendall's lock of the week. Let's start with that. Yeah, I was looking through uh, NBA schedules. And as I mentioned last week here on the podcast, I'm a really big Celtics fan. And I'm very, very impressed with what they've been able to do, turning their entire season around. And right now, they're minus 160 to win the Atlantic Division. And the Sixers, who are a half game back, are plus 130 but they're actually tied in the loss column. It's just that Philly has played one less game. And when you look at their remaining schedules, the Celtics have to play at Chicago tomorrow, at Milwaukee, and at Memphis to finish the season. They could easily lose two of those, but I feel very confident with Robert Williams' injury, they're going to lose at least one of those, which means they have 31 losses. Philly currently has 30 losses also. They play Indy twice, Detroit at home and at Toronto at Toronto is arguably the only losable game of those four. So knowing you can get plus plus one thirty on Philadelphia to win the Atlantic division. Give me that all day long. I ran to the bank last night to put some money on that. Mm-hmm. Like, and again, I'm a diehard Celtics fan, but when I look at that is it seems plain as day to me with Robert Williams's injury. We're not quite the same team, especially defensively without defense. We don't win games. That's how we've been able to turn the whole season around. He was a top five defensive player of the year nominee until he got hurt. 
Uh, so I feel like it's a lock. So that's Kendall's lock of the week. Philadelphia wins the Atlantic division. Go get that money. Right. It is bet online. That's where you go to place your bet. This is probably going to be the easiest money you're probably going to make. I have no disagreements whatsoever. That is <laughs> Philly. Like Indy is trying to lose. Okay. Like they are <laughs> trying to lose to get a high draft. And they are succeeding. Pick. Exactly. <laughs> like they're succeeding. And, you know, like they traded for Tyrese Halliburton and all this stuff. I Don't be surprised if he sits. I mean, like he had 19 points and 17 assists yesterday. Don't be surprised if that guy sits for the next three or four, you know, like the remaining schedule. Yeah, down the stretch. I mean, like the only way that this happens is if they, it, well, it doesn't happen. We'll just say that. Like it's not going to happen because unless Philly falls on their face. But with the way Joel Embiid is playing right yeah. now, he is not going to allow this team to lose to the Pacers or the Pistons with the division crown on the line at the end of the season. I just don't see it. Oh, this is a perfect segue for me because uh, now we're going to talk uh, odds to win the MVP. It's a three way race between Nikola Jokic, Giannis, you can say his last name, Antetokounmpo. Thank you. And Joel Embiid. Right now, Jokic is leading uh, minus 330, and Embiid is plus 250, and Giannis is plus 550. And we'll also throw in Luka Doncic. Um, that's plus... 12,000. 12,000. I know. It's not a typo. Yeah, but that's probably not going to happen unless Luka somehow scores... <laughs> 60 plus point, 70 points. And I mean, it's, yeah, it's not going to happen. No, but I, I, I thought it was, it was notable uh, just because if you look at his number statistically, he is having such an unbelievable season mm -hmm. and no one's really talked about him. Yeah. Well, I'm talking yeah, this about is him. The guy's the amazing. Three man race. And I, I know that you really like one of them. Yes. Joel Embiid. Every single year he, he's been in the league, he's gotten better. Joel Embiid this year is averaging 30.2 points, 11.6 rebounds, and 4.2 assists. In his last game, he scored versus Cleveland. He had 44 points, 17 rebounds, and five blocks. This guy right now is playing out of his mind since March 31st over his last like four or five games. 37 points, 15 rebounds, 37 points, 15 rebounds. 29 points, 14 rebounds. What he's doing this year is just insane. And I'm not discrediting Jokic or Giannis at all because they are putting up tremendous numbers as well, the most in their entire career. But um, with everything that's been going on in, in Philly with Ben Simmons' situation, him, him having to deal with those distractions, carrying the team, and we all know playing in Philly is very tough. So that's why I think... Um, Joel and Embiid um, should win MVP, and I'll honestly be really bothered if he doesn't win it because I really think he, he deserves it this year. It's hard to argue that he doesn't deserve it. He's, like you said, he's carried the team on his back for much of the year, dealt with all those distractions, even trying to fit James Harden into the fold when he came in. That's not an easy thing. Just ask a whole bunch of other guys that have played with him, and it ha they haven't slowed down. He hasn't slowed down. He's putting up insane numbers, but... The other two guys are equally putting up insane numbers. Nikola Jokic, after his most recent game, he is the first player in, in the NBA in the last 50 years, 50, a half century, to be top 10 in the NBA in scoring, rebounding, assists, and field goal percentage. Despite that, 
personally, I, I feel that the MVP is Giannis because I think Giannis is by far the most superior defensive player. What he does on both ends of the court, and he did it to Embiid in their game last week or a few days ago, and he had that game-winning block at the end of the game between the Sixers and the Bucks. I, I like. I believe that he is the best player in the league, but I don't think Giannis is going to win. Uh, and I actually like your pick of Embiid, especially knowing he's getting two and a half to one currently on his money, as opposed to having to lay more than three to one odds on Jokic. Jokic won it last year. The Nuggets are what the five seed in the West. It's not nearly as impressive. The East is better than the West. The Sixers, when they win the Atlantic division, like I said, they're going to, they're probably going to get the two seed in the East. So with considering all of that, I, I agree. I think uh, Embiid is probably the smart play on where you go with your money there. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, like, that's what I'm doing for sure. The, the money there is plus 250 on Embiid. I think that's, if you're going to do it, do it now um, because there's not a lot of season left, so take those odds. And uh, so that, that kind of brings us into the last little tidbit I want to talk about. With no NBA games tonight, I was looking at some of the lines for tomorrow and some of them really stood out to me. And I think there's some opportunity to make a little bit of coin. Yeah. Um, let's talk first. Miami minus five versus Charlotte. I mean, the Heat, like they have a lot to play for right now. What do you and think? They have a ton to play for and they're playing really, really well. Charlotte, they're locked into the play-in tournament. They obviously have talent, but they've had a lot of ups and downs in their second half. They have not been very good. LaMelo's been up and down. Uh, so like knowing everything that Miami has and they're playing at home, I love, I love the heat to cover that line. I was surprised it wasn't seven or eight when I saw it. So I jump all over that. Denver minus six and a half versus San Antonio Spurs are currently two up on the Lakers for the play in and they have a lot to play for. What do you think? I love, I love the Spurs. They're, they're playing extremely well right now. And they know if they win this game, it's all but a lock that they're in the playoffs. Even if they lose, they're probably still going to get in because the Lakers are the, the chances on them as we'll get to are not very good. But with the way that they're playing right now in Denver, they're still two games up on one team, two games behind another. They're, they're not, they're likely not to fall into the play in tournament. So because of that, I, I really like the Spurs plus six and a half. I think they'll lose, but I think they'll cover that line. Yeah. Utah is minus five versus Memphis. And uh, this is a little shocking. What do you think? Yeah, I, I was surprised when I saw the Grizzlies getting five points. I know it's in Utah, but that's a lot of points to give to the Grizzlies pretty much no matter who they're playing outside of them playing Phoenix, maybe. Uh, I mean, they've pretty much been consistently, what, the second best team in the league, I would say, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Like, it's it's weird that they were getting five points at Utah. I mean, Utah is one of the better home teams. They're 27 and 11 at home, and they cover at a pretty good clip as well. I guess maybe the thought is, you know, they're locked into the two seed in the Western Conference, and that's why Vegas set the line where they did. But that team, even without John Morant, last I checked, they were 18 and two when he doesn't play. So, like, it doesn't really matter whether he's on the court or not. They're, they're just as good. So, like, five points that, that stood out to me. It also could be one of those where it's so obvious that it's a trap. So, I certainly wouldn't go the other way, but I do like Memphis with the points. Cleveland minus eight and a half at Orlando and uh, Jared Allen and Mobley are back. Yeah. So I know that uh, they, they were slated. They missed the game over the weekend. 
Uh, JB Bickerstaff talked about getting one, if not both back really soon. And if either of them come back, Orlando, I mean, they're also in tank mode. They, they've been pretty awful all season long, and they don't just lose. They typically get hammered when they lose. Um, and, and I think that there's a good chance that they get hammered again in this game. Cleveland is still fighting for any chance to get out of the play-in tournament because as of right now, if the playoffs ended, Cleveland has to play the Brooklyn Nets in that play-in tournament uh, in the one-game play-in you're in. So you want to avoid that when you can. So knowing that, you know Cleveland's going to go balls to the walls. And so I, eight and a half, I know it's a lot of points to swallow, but I, I think Cleveland's going to take that cover easily and, and take that game running away with it. Uh, also, the Lakers are plus 1,600 to make the playoffs. What do you, what do you think? Like, are I they would done? not waste my money. Okay. <laughs> Whatever the odds are on the Spurs claiming that final spot, I will happily lay that money, even if it's minus 3,000. Because w- the Lakers still have to play the Suns then the Warriors, and I believe the Nuggets. And they have one uh, game that's winnable against, I think, the Pelicans in there. So that's their four games. They're two back with four to play, and San Antonio owns the tiebreak. So essentially, they have to make up three games with four remaining with that schedule. I mean, they can't win one game, never mind win three games against that competition. So screw the plus 1600. Give me the minus 7,000 on the Spurs or whatever it might be. Cause the Spurs are going to the playoffs and the Lakers are going home. Like, is this the worst Lakers season? Like ever? <laughs> it, it's maybe the most disappointing. Uh, they've had some really bad seasons. If you remember five, six years ago at the end of Kobe's career, there was that swoon where they were pretty awful. They were mm. winning 20 games a year. That's how they got the pick to draft Lonzo Ball. It, so they've had a couple of seasons where they were pretty bad recently. But we also didn't expect a ton from them. Whereas this year, there were expectations. I mean, mm. they won the title in the bubble not too long ago. And you had AD and LeBron. And, you know, we could win the West. And they're just bad. And I have to say it, as much as I love LeBron, he constructed this team. And in years past, he normally constructs the team with a bunch of shooters and that way he can drive into the paint and then kick it to 45 year old Mike Millers and they can just drain open shots. And instead he, you know, wanted to bring in guys like Russell Westbrook, which don't shoot the ball well. So it's really strange the way they constructed the team. And a lot of it, I think, has to fall on LeBron's shoulders this time. So they're done. They are done. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week, next Monday. We'll break down the championship game and and what happened over the weekend at Augusta. The NBA playoffs, the teams will be announced. We'll know who's playing who. We'll break down some of those matchups, make some predictions. I do want to give a shout-out to all the listeners out there. Thank you so much for for listening. And uh, we hope we can uh, keep giving you great knowledge and uh, keep making you money. It's been a blast so far. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.